Welcome to today's episode on the Life in Front Office podcast, powered by Brain Fuel, here with the Sports Digita series. Really looking forward to talking with our guests today and Jeff Hunsaker from Minnesota United FC, VP of Corporate Partnership Sales, Katrina Polanka from the San Antonio Spurs, VP of Global Partnerships, and our esteemed Christy Grady um, from Sports Digita. And, and look, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, sponsorships, fan engagement, um, what it's like as we're kind of transitioning, hopefully knock on wood, a little bit uh, closer to the end of this pandemic. But, but uh, as fans are filling the seats and sponsors are re-engaging and um, there is no more tarps on certain seats and, and make goods and whatnot, uh, what does that landscape look like? So uh, really looking forward to the conversation, Jeff, Katrina, Christy, and um, Jeff, I'll, I'll take it away with you to start, you know, um, just looking at the, the fan engagement component and how uh, the conversations have gone with sponsors, um, with, with fans in the stands, what has that been like as of recent? Yeah, good, good morning, Jake. Thank you very much. Uh, great to be here. Appreciate it. Uh, I think it's evolved a lot over the last 18 months. You know, you, you had a time period where you had no fans. In MLS, we had the time period where MLS was back tournament in Orlando. Um, and then, of course, we we started to welcome fans back this year. I think it's been really important for us on the, on the corporate side and partnership marketing side to really get an understanding from our partners and what they want and how they want to engage during such an interesting time. Some brands are able to interact quicker, you know, with a fan. Uh, some brands have not been able to, maybe due to their own policies. And I think having that understanding has really been the key. Um, so we might have a brand now uh, activating, you know, in our pregame out on our great lawn, or we might have somebody doing something on the exit coming out of a game uh, and doing our best to really just get an understanding for each particular brand on what they're looking for. And then trying to give them that platform uh, that makes the most sense to be able to engage. We have been really fortunate. I will say uh, our fans came back uh, all the way. We've been sold out uh, since we were able to welcome fans back. So that certainly has helped allow for that fan engagement if brands are able to do so. Katrina, as the NBA season's uh, coming coming uh, quickly, rather, um, what are you expecting as, look, the, the landscape of sponsorships is one in which, you know, we're always adapting to the business's objectives, but those are also changing rapidly as well. So how, how are some of those conversations going? Thanks, Jake. Um, great to be here as well. So I think it's really, starting at the the high level brand organization. So right before this, I was at Switch working on their esports and gaming sponsorships. Before that, I was at Barclays Center in the Nets. So I have a little bit of NBA background, but the world of Twitch and esports really opened my eyes to having fans without boundaries, right? Because in esports and gaming, you don't have teams tied to cities the way that you do in traditional sports. So growing up, if I grew up in San Antonio, I might be a San Antonio fan because that's my hometown. In esports and gaming, that doesn't exist. I'm hand selecting my fandom based on brand characteristics. And that just unlocks everything for you as a brand, right? Like you can go outside of your 75 mile radius in the NBA, outside of the 150 mile radius, 
outside of your city. So what we're trying to do at the Spurs is take that same concept and look, we have a really strong global fan base naturally because of the roster that we've built over the last few decades. Um, and so that's really authentic to the Spurs brand. How do we start to think the way that gaming and esports creators do and think about our fans outside of our region? And that really is becoming our focus. And as we start to develop our identity on the international scale, who are the brands that are going to help us get there? We have a few who are currently in our ecosystem right now, but we're also actively looking at brands who can help us and are interested and passionate in helping us reach those fans outside of our borders. Christy, I want to go to you real quick on the DigiDeck Live because uh, as Jeff's had fans, Katrina's about to welcome fans, um, there's some combination of working in the office, hybrid, then you're going out and having meetings in person, but some aren't. And so how have you seen the rollout of DigiDeck Live go? And, and then what are you hearing from your clients as well? Well, thanks, Jake. I'm happy to join today too, Katrina and Jeff. Great to be on with you. Um, I would say, you know, really DigiDeck Live for us, it's been out there now for a year. October marks the, the one year mark of it being tied to the DigiDeck platform. And I think that has been a complete game changer for our partners because it's taken that presentation tool and bringing it one step further where it truly is a way to engage. Um, it's allowing people to chat right from within the platform. It's allowing people to jump right to a video conference if needed and get that immediate response that they need. So for their clients, you know, to Katrina's point, right, it's how do we become a bit more nimble and look at things a little differently? And that's really what we were trying to do with DigiDeck is how do we empower our clients to use this tool, not just for you know, sending a presentation off or hosting a virtual meeting, but how do they engage with their clients or their prospects when they want to engage and allowing that chat interaction and the immediate response and preparing them for that meeting that they might have with their C-level executive, they need to get approval on something. And so I think that's been a huge thing for us is taking it another step forward to true engagement when people want to engage. Yeah, it's interesting, you know, uh, Katrina, Jeff, I'd, I'd be interested to get your thoughts on how many in-person meetings, you know, you're, you're seeing your staff have versus virtual. Is it easier to get the meeting, you know, just because it's virtual and then it's harder to get the follow-up meeting? I mean, what, what trends have you guys been seeing from a sales perspective? On our side, it's been a mixed bag, I would say. I think it's just about, I would say 75, 25 virtual to in-person. I think a lot of people are still trying to do things virtually. It'll naturally change as the season starts because we're going to start hosting more clients and then naturally you're going to host a meeting either before or after. Um, but it's been a lot of virtual, which has been nice to your point. It's been easier to get them because you don't have to book your travel. You're able to talk to companies coast to coast. There isn't this pressure of having to be there and fly there or have them come in. Um, but I think you hit the nail on the head, right? Like it's 
it's quicker to get the meeting, but it's a little tougher to tell whether they're distracted because you're you're on a screen. You can't tell whether you can tell their eyes are going somewhere else, answering another email. Things are popping up. They're trying to put out fires. So I don't know that the quality of the meeting has been better, but having the the presentation truthfully with DigiDeck and being engaged visually has really helped us. Um, and it's helped us turn things around a lot quicker as well. Yeah, I, Katrina, I mean, a lot, a lot of the things are the same here. And I think we've, through the 18 months, I think it's kind of changed, kind of similar to fans coming back. Um, you know, at first, everything had to be virtual and the Zoom fatigue was just so real that I felt like um, you, exactly what Katrina said, how focused is everybody? Everybody is so, um, you know, under a lot of pressure, they're over capacity, not only on our side, but the other side. Um, so it felt like we went through kind of some ups and downs through the process, but I think we've, we've kind of figured it out. Digidex definitely played a really key role in the presentation side. Um, but as soon as we could get people together, we certainly have chosen that way if we can. Uh, I feel like it just a better conversation. You can have a little more live dialogue when we start to get a little more detailed. Um, and I just feel like it changes the hopeful outcome uh, being face to face. But I do agree it has opened up ways to uh, be more efficient. That's for sure. Um, for us, you know, we would love to host a lot of our meetings in Allianz Field. Uh, and obviously there was points where we couldn't even do that. Uh, so we had to get used to the virtual world. And yeah, the efficiencies definitely increase, you know, as we're calling on folks from all over the Midwest and even beyond. So it's been interesting. Christy, you're, you're calling on folks everywhere and anywhere. So uh, virtual is probably your middle name by now. It, it is, and it's funny, as, as Katrina and Jeff were answering that question, I was just thinking, and in the last two weeks, um, we've had uh, four different reps go on the road to different conferences to finally meet in person again, and I'm off um, to London, uh, I'm going to the leaders conference next week, so I'm going on my first final, my first work trip since March of um, 2020. So it's, it's definitely shifting for us now again. Um, and I know we're all very excited to be out and in person with folks. We've had a few people come into our office um, to meet in person, but I mean, certainly have not been traveling as much as normal and doing as many in-persons. But I think we're definitely seeing a shift in that now. And I think all of us probably are seeing that conferences are, are coming back to have in-person events now. And as we get into 2022, I have a feeling um, things will probably shift to be more 50-50 instead of that 25-75 that Katrina mentioned. Yeah, everyone's wondering like what's going to stick, what's not going to stick, right? I think that's the the magic, you know, million, well, probably billion dollar question that everybody's wondering about. But when, you know, Katrina, Jeff, when you think about the sponsor side, right, for those sponsors who didn't have certain assets because they weren't, whether it was player, player engagement, player interactions, whether it was um, certain fan type uh, activations, right? Like, and then they had these other make goods that maybe they didn't exist or they weren't privy to, but are there things that because they didn't have them for maybe a season, season and a half that they're like, eh, I don't need that anymore. Or things that they had as make goods are like, I really like this. Um, you know, these work for our partnership. Have you seen a lot of like, oh, let's go back to what we had or are they starting to 
really shift in, in uh, kind of the inventory and, and what's being put together from a partnership perspective? On our side, everyone is really just wanting to get back to normal. I, I think like they, they miss the in-person, they miss the appearances, they want to be back. I think what's affecting us the most is still the effect of the pandemic on businesses. And so while not directly associated with each other, they're correlated, right? Like how can you go and um, for, as an example, buy a corporate suite and spend X thousands of dollars on that, yet you haven't rehired everybody back or yet your business is still suffering because we don't know what's going to happen with this variant. You have production issues. So being sensitive to the business side of things while still wanting to come back is the balance we're trying to strike now. And that does correlate with the assets and how public facing a brand wants to be there. How are you going to market a product that you know, you're six months behind on producing your beer. Um, so just the the outside effects of the pandemic have really affected our sponsors' businesses, and we're trying to come back in the right way. No, Katrina, that's a great point, because just because you are spending the money on a partnership and then it and then it works in the way it should, you have to be able to take advantage of that. Like, some brands are probably even afraid to do it because they're afraid that that the success would actually hinder them more than it would help them. And so, Jeff, to to you know, to you, like, are you having those conversations with brands of making sure that they're set up to take advantage of, you know, whether it's hiring people or just um, being able to be equipped to 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 take care of that, you know, advantage of the success? Yeah, for sure. I think we've had to be very aware of which, which brand is going through which issue, concern, or challenge at any given time. I think it has really changed for this particular industry and then that industry uh, it has really changed. You know, This industry might have had this particular challenge at the beginning, and now this industry is having this challenge. And I think being aware, having those really good conversations with our partners to make sure we're giving them the assets that make the most sense or the messages within those assets that make the most sense uh, right now. And I think that's been really important. Um, I think to your question prior, what we, I definitely agree with Katrina. We've seen the brands, they want to get back to normal. They miss it. Right. Um, and we all miss it too. But I think the community initiatives, which we had done a really good job in 2020 pivoting brands to, uh, we already were very good at it, but I think we kind of had to add to it, uh, given everything that was going on. Um, and it was successful with our partners. They did a tremendous job. So I think I've seen that conversation become even more important, discussing our community pillars with a, a potential partner or with a current partner, and then seeing how we can help each other out with, with whatever initiative that would be. So that's what I've seen. Christy, I want to pivot this episode to hiring because I think it's an interesting topic to cover across the three of you in that you know, you guys have expanded with a second you know, headquarters, you're hiring more people, you're expanding. Um, Jeff and Katrina are in different places where, you know, their seasons are at different points. Um, organizations have approached us all differently, but then, you know, Katrina, you're starting new, right? Coming from another, another place. So uh, Christy, we'll start with you. Just what have been the challenges on the hiring side in terms of um, tech sports, what you're seeing in the market in terms of skill, um, et cetera. 
Well, I think for us, um, you know, our, our platform, um, the pandemic really just brought it to the forefront. So I think we had more people paying attention to who we are and what we do more people than probably would have in the past because um, we've had more exposure to brands and staff members outside of the sports landscape. And so when we were posting new roles, I think we had this entirely new pool of candidates um, that was beyond just the sports industry. And for us, that's pretty powerful. Um, and kind of taking expertise from maybe other areas, since we are selling outside of the sports landscape as well, and bringing that to our team, whether that be on the account executive sales side of things, the sales development rep side of things, even kind of the development sales engineering. I mean, we're hiring across the board and growing rapidly um, to support all of the new initiatives that we have. And it's only making our platform better. I mean, when you think you asked me earlier about Digideck Live, I mean, Digideck Live exists than just sports, right? So Digideck Live exists because it helps all of our partners that are on the platform. And because we've expanded our hiring um, to outside of the sports industry, that's only making our product and our staff and our tools that we have better. Jeff, from your end, what have you been seeing? It has been, uh, it, it certainly has been a challenge. Um, you know, we, we want to have a really open mind to make sure we can find the next great people to bring into the club. Um, and I think, you know, we, we went through a period like many other, you know, sports teams and companies where we had furloughs and unfortunately weren't able to hire. So we kind of had this moment in time where we almost couldn't even move forward, even though, you know, you, you knew you needed to prep to move forward, if that makes sense. Um, and now we've, we've been really fortunate, I think more on the partnership marketing side to bring on some really good, uh, new talent. And then, uh, recently on the sales side as well, that we're really excited about, but we do have a couple of positions that are still open, uh, that we continue to kind of work through. You know, I think salespeople in general have probably had a little bit of change, uh, in thought process because of what maybe they've been through either in their current industry or, or friends of theirs in the industry, not even just sports. So I think just having an open mind uh, to what those folks may need and, and frankly, even looking at our structure of how people are paid uh, so that they're still motivated and excited to not only come to our club, but stay here uh, because we still need great people uh, to stay here as well. It's, it's definitely been challenging and I think it's made all of us think differently, which I think is probably a great thing. As Christy said, you're, we're getting folks maybe out of our industries uh, to join us, which is great too, brings in a new mindset. Um, but yeah, it's, it's been an interesting challenge. Katrina, you went from the NBA to esports to then back to the NBA. So what has that transition been like for you? And what have you seen kind of from the talent that were, that was in esports to then, you know, the NBA organization? For us, it's really been about, if I were to sum it up into one thing, we're trying to move into a place where we're looking at employees as three-dimensional people, right? I think before the pandemic, you really only thought about them in their nine to five capacity. And 
now from a philosophical standpoint, as you're hiring and evaluating candidates and thinking about not just recruitment, but retention, you have to think more flexibly. And the tech world, Twitch, has been doing that for a very long time, right? Like you have breakfast, lunch, and dinner is covered, daycare is covered. Everyone's been working from home on Fridays. Remote work was a thing before the pandemic. And now that's just becoming baseline. And sports has been a little slower to transition to that, but the pandemic has forced the issue. And now that there's talent shortages all over the place, we're all, at least personally on my team, I'm really looking at how do I look at my team as three-dimensional, right? They are people who work for us, but they have hobbies. They have families. They're probably going to move on from the Spurs at some point, and we want that for them. So how do I look at that and give them flexibility in their schedules, the ability to pick up their kids without worrying about them missing an important meeting, the idea of talent development and what you can learn from coming through the Spurs, right? And now, now you're not just talking about lifetime employees. I want to be a leader who's going to train you and you're going to want to come work for a couple of years to learn something from us that you can take and get promoted to at another organization. And that's okay. That's the reality of this new workforce. So thinking about those things a little bit differently um, is, is sort of what, what I'm borrowing from the tech world and trying to bring into this organization. I think Christy can speak to the tech world, but there's a lot of good that we can all learn from. And, you know, when you think about, we all, we would all know on this call, you know, there's different organizations around our industry that like, you know, a lot of the people at the top at other organizations have somehow one way or another went, you know, they went through an, an organization and there's kind of those similar, whether it's the sons or, or, or others like, like, oh, that, per when I was at Learfield, everyone one way or another, like went through Learfield, even if it was only for a year, they went through Learfield at some point. Right. And so like, I think it's just, um, understanding, you know, to Katrina's point, like what, what are the three dimensions and three dimensions might be different for some organizations versus others as well, in terms of priorities of, of what those are. And in terms of, uh, geographically where they are, right. Like it just depends. There's, you know, different types of commutes. Um, Katrina, I don't know when you were at the nets, if you were going into, into the city or anything like that, but, um, I would just imagine a little bit different as opposed to trekking through the snow, like Jeff and Christy. Yeah, it's definitely something. I, I lived in Brooklyn and worked in Brooklyn, and it's always been important to me to live right by the office, but it, it's something we think about, especially here in Texas, right? Everything is so spread out. And most people, if you want to live in a house, like you have a 45 to hour long commute, and that just doesn't even seem like after the pandemic, you're like, I can't believe I used to do that every day. And I think it's okay to sort of, um, I don't wanna use the word give in, but like you got a glimpse of what life could be like without the two hours of blockage on your commute and forcing our workplace to evolve to be more flexible to that um, is something that we're working on. Yeah, I, I would agree, Katrina. I think that 
that just the flexibility piece is so critical. That's how you're going to retain great talent. That's how you're going to attract great talent. And, you know, really being able to trust your team to make the right decisions that they need to make to get everything accomplished. And that that's okay that that might happen outside of that nine to five window, or someone needs to make that 430 game that day for their son or daughter. And that's making them a better employee, not making them a hindrance to this, to the staff. Um, and I think that has really, you know, that um, opinion has been brought to the forefront and people have to pay attention to that now. And, employees are pushing for that more now because they, like you said, got a little glimpse of, wow, if I'm not commuting every single day, 45 minutes to an hour each way, I'm actually more productive. And they're happier and contributing more to the organization. So I think that flexibility is certainly something that's here to stay. And it'll be interesting to see how um, organizations across our industry embrace it. I mean, yeah, we're right. all in sales on this call, right? And Jeff, like if you can take those 45 minutes and make that many more calls or that many more emails or outreaches or touch points, whatever it might be, like it will only help you and the small things add up, right? So if you've got 15 more calls by the end of the week because you were able to do that each day, right? It adds up. Yeah, absolutely. That's exactly what I was going to say. The efficiencies have definitely increased. Um, you know, not only from a professional perspective, but also personal. Uh, Christy, you referenced the 430 game for your, your son, daughter, nephew, niece, whatever it might be for you, one of your employees. Um, and that's a big deal. And I think it, it now allows you to make that game. And maybe you started working earlier because you weren't in the car for 45 minutes. And you're able to work later that evening because we've all gotten more used to the workflow. Um, and I think it does help produce a little better work environment given what we've all been through. And then hopefully that helps with retainment, bringing on new employees, et cetera. But the efficiencies have been really key. Katrina, as, as leaders of a, of a team and a, a group, uh, the structure in which you set up is important and how you go about that um, is certainly key into helping people succeed. But then also like, how do you go about adapting to the managing component, right? Because yeah, it's one thing to let your employees kind of, you know, go about their way and, and get their stuff done. But from a management perspective, that's also different. Yes, and onboarding has been very different as I know you understand too, Jake. Um, it's been tough, honestly, getting to, to just, there's this book called Connect First, and it's a book on leadership and the importance of connecting with your team on a human level before you start to um, sort of get them moving on the business side. And it's been hard to connect first. Um, I went through a series of one-on-ones in my first two weeks, but it's hard to get, you know, the the creative collisions that happen in an office have been absent during my onboarding process and getting to know the people I've had to take, you know, two or three extra steps versus if we were naturally in an office, um, it would have happened organically. So that has personally been tough. And I think the message um, to the team going forward is 
and again, like it's an organization that has very much been set in their ways and are now just starting to get a refreshed look on things. Um, it, it's really just about, about empowering people to make decisions and acknowledging that there will be mistakes. And that's very much a, a mindset that even at the Nets, to be honest with you, right? Like it's, they're very traditional organizations. Um, I think when you work in tech, as Christy might be able to allude to, that's the foundation of a tech company. Build something fast, make mistakes, fail quickly. It's okay. We're going to figure out how to rebound. So bringing some of those values into this new world where you're empowering your people to make uh, those decisions independently while acknowledging that they're going to be mistakes and I'm going to have your back, I think is a, is a management style that's going to become more popular. Jeff. Yeah, I completely agree with what Katrina said. I think it's uh, the onboarding part has been the, uh, I don't know if I want to call it humbling. It's challenging. It's uh, really made you think about uh, how we connect with our, our employees and our, and our, the people that we're bringing on board and, I think having a really good understanding to what the on you know the new employee how they feel they don't have those you know you talk about those connections Katrina I completely agree they not only do we not get to connect with them the way that we would traditionally and thankfully we've had some home games where we've been together so we're getting a little bit of it but nothing like if you were in an office from nine to five or eight to six and whatever we used to do um, but they also don't get to get that connection across our departments. Uh, and, and lean in and get to know other people like them that are going through the same process. And so we've done it. We've, what we've really tried to do is say, you know, these are going to be some meetings we're going to stay consistent with uh, not only, you know, one-on-one -on -one if, if you're the one being the manager and bringing somebody on board, but also across departments, um, reach out to this department and, and connect with this individual, uh, get to know this employee who also recently started and is going through the same challenges you are because onboarding in the virtual world is it's completely different kind of the amount of time that you need to get up and running is different. And I think having that understanding so the new employees don't feel, because they also feel bad is what we've learned, but we need to get them to understand it's okay, we're gonna get through this together. We're just not gonna move at the pace maybe we've moved in our past. Um, but yeah, it's been really interesting. Jeff, as, as the season has started to come to an end and you look at the off season versus Katrina and the other, and you know, the opposite world, um, how much of, you know, onboarding at the right time can you try and control in the sense of, you know, Katrina, it's probably impossible to onboard some, something or someone as you're like, you know, four weeks out of the season, right. And you're just trying to get everything done. Whereas Jeff's got like this ideal time, maybe in the off season to onboard someone. Yes, definitely a good point. Uh, Cause we have two positions currently open and we've discussed, you know, if, if the right individual doesn't come across right now, we don't find that great connection that we're all excited about. Does it make more sense to maybe delay it slightly to have the, uh, you know, the new employee, she or he join, you know, in November, let's say, or, or in allow that. And frankly, we, our plan to go back to the office is November is the middle of November as well. Right now, uh, we've been virtual essentially since you know March of 2020. Um, so it, that also may allow a good timing uh, to bring you know new employees on board. Then, Katrina, do you have a do you, you don't have a choice? You just gotta you gotta get people in. 
we got to get people in. No, um, <laughs> this season we're actually using as a transition period. So we do have a sort of work back timeline um, toward what our new department is going to look like. It'll have more specialized roles. Uh, traditionally, we've had a sales and an activation team, but we're going to look to expand that from two functions to four, the four being sales, the launch of what we're calling Partner Brand Lab, which will be the consolidation of our creative insights and marketing solutions teams. Um, the third being an account management team that is fully client relationship driven and focused and an activation team who are, you know, your top notch executors who don't miss a thing on the to do list. They live in Excel. They love project timelines. And I think expanding from two functions to four will allow us to better specialize people, but and also improve our talent development. Um, and that's a lot to ask for, for from a team that is so tenured and has been doing things this way for such a long time. Um, we're grateful to have this season to test the waters. Um, so we're looking at it like that, like not as a rush to get people hired before the start of the season, but rather getting certain functions up and running at different times to prepare for when we quote unquote flip the switch uh, starting in July of 2022. Christy, lastly to you, uh, you've worked across not only a lot of different parts of the sports industry, but now you're working with many, many other companies across many industries. Any, any insights to provide there as to what you're seeing and the conversations that you're having? I mean, I think everyone, it's kind of interesting coming after Katrina's answer, where my head just went specifically on this question is, I think everyone is really evaluating their structure and what their go-to-market plan is as an organization, whether that's in the sports landscape, in the enterprise landscape, but it's about evaluating what the approach is going to be, but then figuring out the path to get there. And it doesn't necessarily have to be yesterday because sometimes getting the right people, having the right approach, taking a step back to what is the content that I want to include that's gonna be critical for our prospects and clients to understand. And I'm gonna get that content right and find the right platform to deliver that content rather than just throw all this new stuff to my sales team and say, good luck, right? It's how can we arm our teams with the tools that they need? And some of that is by specializing them a bit more. You know, I think we've gone that same route here that Katrina's mentioning for the Spurs is we're really trying to identify what areas can we um, provide people to be a little bit more focused and have a, a specialized function that's going to make all of us um, uh, better at what we do, right? And we're more prepared and we can really focus on the things that are critical to continue moving the business forward, but also moving things forward for our clients and our partners. And I think I'm seeing that really like, yes, internally with us, but also externally with partners across industries. Yeah, I think everyone's adapting, right? And and the key to adapting is to make sure that it's consistent, it's efficient, um, that it's something that will stick as we kind of talked about earlier. Uh, last question as we kind of wrap up today's episode in, uh, in, in support of brain fuel and kind of the mental preparation for your day. Um, Jeff, would love to know how 
the virtual world and working from home has changed your preparation for each day. And you're talking about mid-November going back. How, how are you going to adapt from a preparation perspective? That's, that's a great question. Um, I think it's really changed. You know, at one point while we were virtual, I was just wanting to get back to the office so badly to be around people, to be around that feeling and all that. And then I transitioned into settling into working from home, uh, being around and being able to help with the family more and actually being here uh, in the house. So making that transition is going to be significant. One thing I think will be interesting is my, my, one of my most favorite preps for personal just being ready for a day was a morning workout and then into the office. And that's changed. You know, it's here or it's later or so I'm looking forward to potentially bringing that back to have part of the prep because I think your mental health is really important for your prep. Um, and I think the, the day, the hours of the day will probably have to shift again too uh, when I'm actually officially ready to work uh, versus, you know, present and in the office versus here working virtually and getting through emails and calls and nobody knowing the difference of how officially ready I am, if that makes sense. So I think it will have to uh, make it have a transition. Well, it's, it's like when you combine the in-office and the virtual in a way, you know, when the pandemic first started and everybody was virtual and couldn't go anywhere, they just worked, you know, all day long. Uh, yeah. It's kind of that way again. Like if you have the, the in-office component and then like because you're working things back in, you've then got to add on to the virtual component on either end. So they, you're still working all day long. Yep. <laughs> um, so it's adapting, right? It's fine. It's fine tuning that and, and figuring out what works for you when you're working out, when you're doing this. Katrina, what, what's it been like on your end? I was actually going to bring up that exact point was at first you had to learn how to transition from work to play and be disciplined about shutting down because without the commute, you didn't have your natural barriers. So the, the prep mentally for me used to be, especially in New York, putting on my headphones and listening to a podcast or reading a book. And that was my time away from my husband and away from the family. Like that was me. We lost that, right? Like you wake up and you're completely always together a hundred percent and you lost that sort of alone time. At least I did. Going back to the office, I think um, it'll be nice to just have that commute again. I know we like talked a, a little bit earlier about how nice it is to have it gone. There are pros and cons, um, but it'll be nice to have the natural sort of bookends to the day that were absent. Um, I think when it comes to just preparing mentally, um, I've started to meditate, <laughs> um, to be able to recognize a feeling and recognize that it's a thought and then be able to compartmentalize and address it, which I think prior to this was a little bit trendy, but not as I think brought up to the surface as it is now. Um, I've also been a lot more cognizant of the times that I send emails I think in the past, I wouldn't have cared whether I was sending a 9 p.m. or 10 p.m. email because there was an understanding that that person wouldn't check it until they came back to work the next day. Because um, at least at the Spurs, they didn't have laptops before this. Like people worked on PCs in the office. And when you left, you were gone. 
Um, and during this, people got laptops. So now I'm hearing from the staff, when you send a 10 p.m. email, even if I don't expect an answer, they feel the anxiety of the email coming up and having feeling like they need to respond. So I do a lot of delay send now, like because I, I do work the crazy hours. But if I'm answering an email at 10 p.m., I am cognizant of the fact that I don't want my staff seeing my name popping up on their phone while they're watching Bachelor in Paradise. Like they need to be focusing on whatever it is they're doing and I'll delay send it for 8 a.m. the next morning. I think that's been a big behavioral shift for me. I see I see Christy reacting to that. You've got to have some sort of comment on it. Well, I just still send my emails and just you know, <laughs> figure people are going to respond in the morning. I. It's I probably should take a note from uh, Katrina on that and start doing delay send because for me I do work at all different hours and I want to get the email off of my plate and get my answer out there I'm okay if I don't hear from them until the next day, but I just need it out of my inbox, which is so funny it's you know it's, it's that anxiety of oh I have these emails sitting there I need to get them out um, type of thing but for me I mean I've been back in the office since January so my difference is I moved offices within our building. And so I am up and walking around a lot more. It was a good thing that I moved. I moved to the opposite side of our office. So now I get up and walk around way more than I did before. I also actually use my stand-up desk that I've had this whole time, but I never even knew how to lift it up because I never used it. So I, I think I have been more cognizant of my need to get up and move, use my standing desk, because when I was working from home, I was sitting all day and I would get up at, you know, instead of working out in the morning, I would just get up and go to my computer and start working. And I'd be working from seven, seven fifteen until six or seven at night. And I didn't even like, it was a good day if I had lunch, right? I mean, it was just my mindset was totally different. And I agree with Katrina that it was hard to separate work and personal when you were doing everything in that same place. So I'm thankful to be back in the office. I think, um, uh, again, I'm just moving more and I will take a note from Katrina's playbook and start doing some delayed send emails. That's my one of my takeaways from today. So thanks for sharing that, Katrina. Well, I think, I think if you can take anything from this episode, right, it's that everything will continue to evolve and adapt and um, that's the key to being successful as well, right? Whether it's dealing with fans, sponsors, um, employees, leadership, et cetera, and even yourself, right? To make sure that you, you're taking care of yourself, adapting and, and ultimately, you know, being the best that you can be each day. So want to thank uh, all three of you for joining today's episode of the Sports Digita series on the Life in the Front Office podcast. Really appreciate it, Jeff, Katrina, and Christy. Uh, until next time.